I want to speak this morning out of the a lesson out of the Old Testament. The last few weeks I've been speaking uh, different lessons learned. We've been speaking about women in the Bible uh, out of the Old Testament. I want to continue with the theme using the Old Testament. And I want to read this scripture to you. It's found in Romans 15.4. We have a little overhead for it somewhere, I think. Um, anyway, it says in Romans 15.4, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything that was written in the past. Sometimes you kind of wonder about the relevancy of the Old Testament. Uh, there's a lot of uh, debate about the relevancy of the Old Testament and how it should connect with us uh, in today's, with the church world, with Christ. The Old Testament's done away with, the New Testament's the New Covenant. But the scripture here says everything that was written in the past was written to teach us something. We can learn from it. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We can have hope. Uh, things that have been written in the past are there to bring us hope. I want to talk about David's mighty men this morning. In 1 Samuel 22, 2, it says, All of those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Doesn't sound like the best gathering. 400 people that are discontented. You gotta read into what that means though, where they were discontented. They were discontented with the conditions of the day. They were discontented with the, uh, political and the religious, uh, uh, things of the day. Yeah. So, he became their leader. And then 2 Samuel 23, 8. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles or scroll there if you have your phones. Second Samuel 23. Oh, I'm in 1 Kings. That's what's wrong. Second Samuel chapter 23, beginning with verse 8. It says, these are the names of David's mighty men. Now, reading through a list of names 
in a scriptural passage can be somewhat boring. I mean, did you ever get a devotional high by just reading the, the names that are listed and uh, reading biblical geolo- uh, gen- genealogy? And you got to ask yourself this question, why did God include such what seems to be dry and barren name, uh, nameless in the Bible anyway? Uh, for one reason, I think it gives historical credence to the Old Testament that says, well, these are not just uh, Hebrew myths and stories to be told, but these were actual people. And historically, it proves what is the content of what God wants to say. But the other is, as we read through these names, you see what God did with these individuals. Now, remember, these were tax evaders. These were um, men who were in distress they were having great issues in life. These were the guys, some of them were the guys that would steal the hubcaps and the hanging baskets from the cars in the parking lot and the flowers at the church. These were ruffians. These were uh, difficult men. These were outcasts. But they gathered around David. They gathered around something that they saw. And what was it about David that they saw? I believe it was anointing. You see, David was anointed king, but yet Saul had not been displaced yet or removed. And and that displeased Saul, recognizing the anointing that was coming on David. And David had to flee for his own life and safety. But they gathered around the anointing. They saw the anointing on David from God. And men are attracted to that. I want to talk specifically, this is for women as well, but I want to talk to the men this morning uh, and using David's mighty men. I saw a little statistic um, chart. It showed of households. Households where the men were the spiritual leaders of their home, where men were saved, 93% of those households, uh, the family all got saved. Where it was this, the wife that led the home, um, it went down statistically by a great amount. I don't remember the exact amount. 17%. That's a big gap. Um, I believe, along with what's happening in our nation and a great split and turmoil, we're praying for this president. The, uh, I believe that this president can bring at least 20 years of direction to our nation if, if he's allowed to continue to set in course the things he's going to set. The nations are all in distress. The nations are in trouble There's a lot of turmoil, and there's a lot of turmoil that wants to bring itself into the heart of our nation.
But I believe with the course that's in his heart, and I believe God placed that in his heart. And we need to continue to pray for him that he can bring us another 20 years of direction for our nation. And so I think it's vital that we pray for him. Along with that, I believe that God is challenging men and challenging us as a church to begin to go after men. Amen. Many men. We'll, we'll start that as a thing in our church here. When somebody says amen, the rest I'll say many men. Not many like many me. Many. God has placed that in my heart. And I believe from what I see the response in everyone's heart that this is a time for us to pursue men. Not men alone, but definitely make it a priority. Men should make the spiritual decisions for their household. Now, does that mean you can't be married to a strong wife? Well, let me ask you, can you? You can. Can you have unity and still have a strong wife? You can. What did I say earlier today? I said God has given me the ability to begin to hear and listen to the wisdom of my wife. But he still has placed me to make spiritual decisions. And here's the fascinating thing about that. My wife will rise up and say, I don't think that's a good idea. I think this. And sometimes that kind of ruffles my feathers a little bit. You know, it kind of catches me off guard a little bit. But I know this about her. If I listen, and she knows I've heard her, and I say, I really hear what you have to say. I've, I've really looked it over. I still feel strongly to do this. She will follow me. Now, she may not follow me all the way into the mud hole that I just walked into, but she'll stand at the edge of it and say, now I'll help you out. I like that about my wife. She very seldom is an I told you so person. On occasions, but very seldom I told you so. It's usually like, eh, you know, probably learned from that one. But uh, what I want to say there is God wants to take men in our community, and I believe there's many men that are in distress. I believe there's many men that are in a debt. I believe there's many men in our area that are discontented. In fact, you talk to most married couples in our nation today, in your community, in your friendships, in your neighborhood, you know, they're hanging on. That's all they're doing, barely hanging on. God has a plan for better than hanging on. So let's look at a few of these men that are mentioned. For these things are written in the past to teach us. 
I think the fact that God keeps detailed record of the names and exploits of David's fighting men is also significant. It indicates to us that God records our personal service. God sees your service, and he records it. If God kept track of and applauded David's valiant soldiers by name, he's certainly keeping track and keeping a reward for the faithful servants of Jesus. You know, of these 400 men, and there might have been more, less, I don't know, those who recognized David as king had to be willing to join with him in a time of the wilderness. We're spoken to about Jesus and joining together with him outside the camp. Jesus being not accepted by this world. In fact, we see more and more and more and more influence of secularism and the removal of anything Christ and Christian and less and less acceptance of Christianity in our nation, which is a Christian nation. I cannot imagine the distresses and the pressure that are on those living in nations where you cannot speak the name of Christ, you cannot have a Bible, you cannot follow the Lord, you cannot speak about him, you cannot testify about him uh, without tremendous uh, persecution and personal safety being at risk. Hebrews 13.13 says that those who have joined him are outside the camp bearing his reproach. I think we can identify in a spiritual way with those who came to David in the wilderness as a people in need, a people who are dissatisfied with the established system. I want to read just in verse 8. few of the names. Joseph Bashabeth, Abishai, different names that were recorded here. They overcame great odds. In verse 9 and 10, Eliezer stood and fought the enemy even though Everyone else around him retreated. Even though he was at the point of exhaustion, he would not rest until the Lord brought him victory. Spiritual warfare is draining at times. A lot of times you feel like throwing in the towel. We had a great time here Wednesday night, a great time of talking about goals over the next 90 days. And, and, uh, and uh, then afterwards, there was a prayer time, and one of the brothers, Robert, folks, was praying over me. And uh, 
you know, it just really went down into my spirit. But he said, run, run, run. He says, no matter how tired you might get, you keep running, you, you endure, you run. And in my mind, I'm going, which way? I'd like to run the opposite direction. But God has not called me to run in the opposite direction. Uh, he's caused, called me to fight a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. We face a spiritual warfare daily. And as men, we need to begin to understand we need to rise up and fight a spiritual battle. We're not fighting our spouses. We're not fighting the world. We're fighting a spiritual battle in which we need to address it. In fact, if you think of the the uh, armament that God has given us, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, our loins girt about with truth, our feet shod with the gospel of peace, there's no armor for your back. It's only a forward-advancing armor. It's only for going forward. It's only for leading. It's only for addressing the enemy. And the more the enemy resists you, the more you should press into that because the Bible is true about this. Resist the enemy. He will flee from you. There's no armor for your back. Brothers and sisters, that's why it hurts so bad when you get stabbed in the back. It hurts. Everybody here can say, at one point in time in my life, I've been stabbed in the back. I know how that feels. You see, you can take and quench the fiery darts of the wicked one with the shield of faith. It says in Jude 3, we are to uh, contend earnestly for the faith. I believe in every household, if that household was led by a man who, rather than allowing his wife to take that position, she can stand there with him and be just as mighty as he is. But unfortunately, the case is not always that. The case often is, as soon as the wife has that also anointing to, to stand and face the enemy and contend for the faith. So often as husbands, we go, huh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Just let it go. Let the wife take the lead. My son-in-law made a statement. I loved it. This is what he said. Nikki grew up. She knows a lot more about the Lord than I do. She's a lot more spiritual than I am. So when I marry her, this is what he brought to me. When I marry her, I'm going to let her take the spiritual lead until I catch up. Right there I went, all right, he's an okay guy. Go ahead and marry my daughter. You know, I wouldn't have stopped if I'd have said anything different. I just... But I thought, wow, what wisdom. Until I catch up. And you know, I've watched it now. Fruit. You watch for fruit, right? And I've watched it for some time now. And he has caught up. And they are both equally yoked. The Bible says we're to be equally yoked. 
But when you have a team that's pulling together and you're equally yoked, one of those also is given the ability to make certain decisions. And I believe God has called to every household that at certain times men need to make the decisions because they get into trouble when they relinquish their position spiritually and leave it for the woman who will do the best they can, make the best decisions they can. I'll never, never tell them that, you know, they're lesser and they made bad decisions. Their husband did. Their husband made a bad decision. Sorry, guys. They're like, oh, is this a guy beat up uh, hour? No, it's not. It's a guy take your place hour. And when we begin to do that, other men will be drawn to that anointing you carry because you're doing it. Other men will be drawn to that anointing also. Men are drawn to the anointing. They're not drawn necessarily to the anointing of program and church. They're drawn to the anointing of God who are saying, in this hour, God has called me to stand and to move forward. Amen? So is any of this making sense to you? So once again, remember that there is no armor... For our back. Only forward advancing. Only facing the enemy. One of, one of David's mighty men, I can't remember who it was, I'd have to go back and read through it. Uh, they got a lot of different names. Benaniah, Benahiah, Benaiah, whatever says he faced down the lion. The lion's in a pit. That's not probably the best place you want to put yourself in with a lion. That lion wants out of that pit. says the lion is in the pit and he goes down with a club and faces that lion and kills it. Now that is exploits. Those are the kind of men God is drawing to the table. God is drawing to the kingdom in this hour. The kind of men that are willing to rise up, face the hard time, face the difficulties, face the responsibilities, and take them on spiritually. Spiritually. On our website, how many have seen our new website? We're still working on it. But uh, it, in prayer, under prayer, it says, prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. That's a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. And uh, I think it's a beautiful quote that shows us really where we should be. So men, I exhort the men in this church to spend some more time on your knees Spend some more time. See, we think, well, being in authority over my, over my household and my wife is to be submitted to me, we confuse some of that. We think our wife is to become subservient to us. That's, 
you know, an inadequate inter- interpretation of what God's saying. Wives will submit to those who are leading godly. Doesn't mean you'll always share the same opinion. Doesn't mean you'll be united on everything that you think about. It means that as a husband, you're taking your responsibility and you're beginning to become one of God's mighty men and lead from your knees, lead in prayer. Now, this is an ongoing battle, one I battle with all the time because I'll go through periods where I'm praying and then I'll go through periods where I'm, I'm more lax. And I can tell you I know that's the difference. I notice the difference when I'm praying and when I'm not. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. Rules for Holy Living, chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. Okay, what are we facing in the pit? The, the, the Benaiah facing the lion in the pit with his club. He went down. He struck it. He subdued it. Men of God will do this. They will put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to their earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We will lead in our homes in these areas. We will lead in our communities in these areas. I'll tell you what, we've got a lot of leaders that are in positions of authority. We need to be praying for them, but they have not subdued any of these areas. In fact, they no sooner run for office, get elected, and you find out that they're a pervert in some way or another. Uh, You find out all these perversions they're into or... Uh, you know, not that we're electing only Christians, obviously, but many of them say they are, and yet their life all of a sudden gets exposed, and they've not put any of these to death. They are not considered one of God's mighty men. But God is raising up an army of mighty men. God is raising up an army of men who will take their positions seriously and begin to address these issues in their lives, and begin to lead their homes. And you know what? Others will be gathered to you. Others will recognize that. Others are looking for direction. They're discontented. They're in distress. They're in times of financial 
debt. There's all kinds of things. God says that he uses the weak things, the base things, the discarded things of this world. He does a mighty work in them and he uses them to confound the wisdom of this world. That's you and I. That's your neighbor. That's the folks down the street. That's your relatives, whoever it might be. I want you to see yourself differently when you leave here today. Women, I want you to see your husbands differently. You're a, you play a big part in this. You've got to speak to them. I remember the time my wife came home and said to me for the very first time, She sat down, she looked up at me, and she said, You are a mighty man of God. You're my king. I'm like, that's really foreign. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond to that. I'm your king. I mean, you know, one part of me was very gleeful. Yeah, now I get to do whatever, I, that boat I've been wanting? Yeah, no problem now. That wasn't the case. It began to change something inside of me. That boat I'd been wanting didn't take priority any longer. Being the man of God that I'm called to be began to become a priority. God says, seek first the kingdom of God and then you'll get the boat. That's paraphrased by Pastor Mark. but Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things will be added to you. So women, you play a part in helping bring your man into that place of fruition of who he is in the Lord. If you're a single man, you're not, you don't have that spouse to do that with, seek earnestly the Lord. He'll give you a spouse. And then uh, you can deal with it differently. <laughs> but... but uh, You know, I look around and I go, there's just a few of us men here today. How many men does it take, though, to start a movement? How many men does it take? Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I will accomplish what they ask of me. If there's two of us in unity, if there's four of us in unity, if there's eight of us in unity, mighty things can happen. We had a funeral here yesterday. Young man, 33 years old. What if his friends, what if those around him would have spoken differently to him? Would have led differently around him? Would have encouraged him differently? Things could have been different perhaps. Think about that. We have a calling from God to lead in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Everywhere we go, there's that opportunity to lead. David's few subdued a nation. Amen. Let's all stand. Um.
I'm sorry if the message this morning wasn't as uh, together as I'd actually put it together to be, but like I said, yesterday was a very long day, but I think a very fruitful day um, at a time of death, a time of funerals, a time of memorial services, there's an excellent time to put out a challenge for people to rise up and to consider their eternity, consider uh, and ponder what happens after death. And I I believe God did that in a powerful way yesterday. And uh, it was a powerful time. And and, uh, I'd like us to remember to continue to pray for our sister Ramona as uh, she buried her husband yesterday and uh, how difficult the task is yet ahead for her. So continue to pray for her, continue to reach out to her in any way you can, and uh, be a blessing to her. Let's close with a song.